Was the 2012 Worlds really eight years ago already? Yes, it was. And you still had some brown hair. Wow. Uh, And you were still short. Touche. Podcasting from Wisconsin, the show ski capital of the world. This is The Ski Show, the ultimate show ski podcast. Hear interviews with the legends and stars of our sport, gain knowledge and insight about all things show skiing, and just maybe they'll pleasure your ear holes along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Matt Heilman and Adam Schaller. Welcome to episode four of The Ski Show, the ultimate show ski podcast, and part two in our our interview with Scotty Clack. I'm pumped because in this episode, one of the things we get to talk to Scotty about, it was the 2012 Worlds. When we look back at that time, it was one of the greatest show ski events in the history of our sport. I was blessed and lucky enough to be co-show directors of that team with Chris Copeland. And uh, you got to share the stage with Brian Cullen. How was the uh, 2012 Worlds experience for you, Adam? I mean, it's, you know, you look back on that and, you know, it feels like yesterday, but at the same time, it was eight years ago. But, you know, as I think most would say, it was so blessed to have the opportunity to, you know, represent the Stars and Stripes in a sport that we all are in love with. And to be able to share that experience with, um, you know, very close friends and the best show skiers in the world, uh, you know, it's just, it, it was, it was awesome. Absolutely. It was unbelievable. And one of the, you know, you go to a water ski tournament, a state or a nationals that we're used to and, and we're all friends, but we're competitors. So uh, everybody is cheering for their own team and that the audience by and large is, is partisan to a degree because there's so many different teams there. And the incredible thing about 2012 Worlds, it was, it was in Janesville and it was in the USA and the entire crowd was pro-USA. So they're all cheering for the same team, cheering for us. And and two main memories I have from that that I'll just never forget to this day is Saturday. So at Worlds, you ski two shows, Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday in 2012 was the first. And and that's the the first of everything. The first time this happened, the first ever Team USA show. And we're in the, our pre-show and pre-show uh, setup is winding down. Uh, the water's calming. The uh, You start to hear kind of a whisper over the crowd. Uh, the show's getting ready to go. I'm, I'm down by the main dock in the staging area. I'm running the radio for the show and I've got my watch ready and we're getting ready to start the show. And the crowd starts chanting USA USA in unison right before the start of our show I'm literally getting goosebumps talking about it right now I just have this vivid memory and I look down at you and you're on stage getting ready to go uh it was incredible and the second uh memory that just stays with me from that uh is again that Saturday show but it was the end of the show and final pyramid comes in we do hand in hand we're doing uh, a final wave and then our final wave of the show, our final introduction, we are the uh, 2012 United States Water Ski Show Team, and we're waving to the crowd, and they are on their feet, and we just waved for, I don't even know how long, to that applause, and and that was as genuine and real and exciting of a moment as I've ever been a part of in show skiing, and, and that is going to stick with me forever. 
Yeah, I mean, I just I have goosebumps with you just telling that story right now. Uh, it it takes me back, and you know, no matter how many worlds there are after 2012, or how many of them that you participate in after 2012, there's always going to be 2012 was the first. It was the first time that there was a show ski worlds. It was the first time that Team USA won a gold medal. And for everybody that participated in that show, that can never be taken away from them. That was the, it was the very first time. And that was uh, truly special. And, you know, as an announcer, you know, in an amateur show, there's always those acts that, you know, your team is really good at, and you're really pumped to be able to announce those acts and to introduce those skiers to stage. Uh, Well, with Team USA, it was every act. I mean, every act was that good. I mean, you just look forward to every single act. And then at the end of the day, you know, you know, not a snowball's chance in hell that our sport is ever going to be an Olympic event. So this is the closest that we're ever going to get uh, to standing on the podium with a gold medal around your neck uh, while they play the national anthem. I mean, you can't, you can't touch that. I mean, so just so thankful and so blessed that uh, I was able to be a part of that. Yeah. Incredible memories, incredible memories. So uh, we're lucky enough today to have Scotty Clack uh, talk about that experience because he was a member of that 2012 team. So in part two of our interview with Scotty, he's going to talk about that world's experience. He's going to share with us a little bit more about his days at the gardens and on the pro tour. He's going to talk about doing double front flips and 1080s and He's got some great stuff here, so we're really looking forward to it. Here is part two of our interview with Scotty Clack. So, Scott, you started as a three-eventer and then worked your way into Cypress Gardens, get paid to train. When did you eventually make that transition to freestyle jumping and then on the pro tour? Uh, this could be a long session, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, so bear, bear with me. I, I let's. Do, I'll go back to the transition. I, it happened really quick at the gardens. Um, so I, I I came on board. Um, I, I was tricking in the show, so I tricked down, tricked back, pick up the skis. Ten, twelve, two, and four. I couldn't. I trained on what they told me to train between shows. I had to go out and do slalom doubles. The girls were. I mean they were my size, you know, I was little still, I was still growing. I was, I graduated early from high school. I started school early. So I was only, you know, 17 when I graduated, turned 18 and I didn't get that growth spurt um, for a couple of years. Um, but I had to do all the other stuff, learn how to do, you know, uh, strap doubles, learn how to do SD, learn how to do all that stuff. So I, I hated that stuff to be really, I mean, I, I just wanted to jump. But I had to do all the other grind through everything else to try to get there. So I couldn't jump. I didn't have time to jump between shows. So I would stay after. And there's a couple, you know, people that would stay after work that were the young, you know, up and comers or one of the electric boat drivers who who was a rider would stay after. And and I'd have somebody pull me and I jumped until dark every night. I just stayed after and um I taught myself. I wanted to learn how to do a helicopter. I saw the guys doing it in the show and I figured, okay, I know how to do helis on, you know, just wrap, pull it and figure it out. And I made my first one. It was really easy. I mean, to me, I picked up helis real fast, uh, made my first heli. My, we're on 72s now, mind you. That's all we had. There was no cut down, you know, 
58 or whatever. I didn't, I didn't know about all that stuff. I just grabbed my jumpers and went out and skied. Um, so I learned that really quick. Probably that first night was, was pretty easy. Uh, and I don't mean that being cocky. I just, it just mean it just came really easy to me. And then, um, I just kept, try, I just kept saying, I got to try to learn how to do a flip. Like I made a flip on my second try. Um, so I was just grinding through it. So then I started moving spots that, you know, I'd, I'd go in the one, two, three, four, two. And I just kept doing that. So I got real comfortable in every spot and nobody in the show knew that I was doing, knew what I did. I just did it after work until ultimately I felt good at it. Um, and then I, and then I, I didn't even ask Lynn, somebody told Lynn, Hey, you know, he's, he could do this stuff now. So Lynn said, Hey, go out and show me what you do. So I did flips and helis and he said, oh, that's cool. Maybe we'll put you in the show. So they put you in the last show of the day, you know, not in the premiere shows. You put in the last show of the day, and then you get to go in a spot, you know, whether and you're just going to go where they tell you to go. It's the two or three spot typically. And you're like, all right, don't. All I got here, Paul Merrill was like the dude. I mean, he was the guy that don't you touch me. Don't you get my hair wet. Don't you, you just get out of my way. If you lock up with Paul Merrill, you're going down because that moose is coming around. He's going to, he had tree trunk legs. So he, he was, he, he will take you out in a heartbeat. But I, I had to learn. So it was cool because he and I were friends though, and everybody was intimidated by him. And I, and I clipped him one time and he just gave me a look. I'm like, oh, my bad. Okay. okay. I'll never do that again. But I learned it. I just learned uh, practicing with, or, you know, they wouldn't practice with me. I just go out in the show and did it, you know, and then I got to, you know, you go high, you go low, we're going to do this. And then they ultimately got to move around. Um, that went on for a couple of weeks. And then um, I wanted to learn how to do a gainer because, man, Mark Jackson's gainer, Mark Jackson and Mike Body's gainers were, Mark was really aggressive. Mark come at it hard and, it, and he was explosive off the ramp. Mike Body. Mike body is like Michael Jordan. He just kind of grooved through it and it, it looked effortless. I mean, he just came around and stuck the landing. I'm like, that is who I want to be like. That guy is smooth. I went and I said, okay, can, will you teach me how? And he's, he's the most gracious person you'll ever meet. Um, but he and Mark Jackson are the ones who taught me how to do gainers. And um, so I learned a gainer second try. Um, but I learned it by cutting and throwing the handle and then doing it and coming around and landing on my feet. And he says, well, hold on to the handle next time. Good grief. They got that. So I, I just learned it and picked it up pretty quick. And, um, so now I was doing gainers and then I was just learning to the speed I was comfortable with because I'm used to distance jumping. So the speed didn't bother me. So I was running 32 probably roughly. And I learned, so I was doing flip helis gainers, right? So now I could do pretty much everything. Jimmy Casada. There's a couple people, Jimmy Casada, I think Kevin Gunther was trying them, uh, but can do sevens. And uh, I'm like, man, I, I, I got to do that. I want to learn how to do a seven. And it's a, so, man, you're doing a handle pass seven. So I just went out and, and hucked it because I knew what I needed to do. You just, and um, I think I learned sevens in the, about probably six or eight tries, probably. Wow. I was starting, I was starting to make those. Um, and that, man, that was fun. So now I could do everything that everybody could do. And that was in about a month's time, really. It, it went really fast. It, I learned it real quick. And there wasn't a freestyle tour or anything. I just wanted to hang with the guys. I just wanted to be 
one of the guys. I wanted to be, uh, you know, the ramp master and what they call it. A ski one was something that was that you had to do everything in the show to become a ski one. I was too small to be able to do all the double stuff at that time, but I could jump really good. So that was, I mean, that happened real fast. So that summer, man, it was just, it was just a quick learning curve. And then I was just hanging with the boys. And that to me was the most rewarding thing ever. So that now I'm going to transition for you. If you don't mind, I'll just transition. There's this guy named Harold Cole from SeaWorld. And I read it in a magazine. I saw this, um, picture of him doing a it was a sequence picture of him in like spray or water ski i think it i don't know if it was spray or water ski at that time how it moved a sequence of him doing a mob and i'm like what in the world is that that's crazy i don't know what and i said but it's so jacked up he's got the handle wrapped around and then he crossed hands and he's like um, he's like you know coming into the ramp with your hands totally bass backwards to me and i'm like how did in the world and i go oh i get it now he didn't want to do a handle pass so he did it so he wouldn't pass the handle I said, that's smart that's cool um but totally unnatural to me i could i just i i looked i just skied like that and rode to the ramp and i'm like whoa this this just doesn't feel right we had a big huge swimming pool at cypress gardens where we did this show and it was like 30 feet deep um I said, well, I got to learn that. So I took a rope over with me to the big pool and I put a weight on it and I jumped in the pool. So I had, so I had weight on the rope so I could stay under like a weight belt, like for diving. And then I just practiced the trick underwater and I did it so I could slowly, I could just break it down real slow so I could feel it. Cause I'm all about, if I can see it and I can feel it, then I can probably kind of make it happen. I felt like that. I didn't understand it. I'm like, how in the world? What's he doing? How do you? And so I said, no, I can't do that. So I just did a regular rap. I said, this seems to make more sense to me. As long as I can clear my tails off the rope, I should be able to get past it. Now, he was doing it on really short 58s or 50, you know, smaller skis. And I thought, man, and it, this, is no, this is no disrespect to him at all because it, that guy's amazing. But I just didn't think that looked good on little skis like that. It just looked just a little compact and it didn't have, you had to go longer uh, and further to make it look really good to me. So um, I said, I got to try this. I got to take it to the ramp. I think it could be done. I think I could do it this way with just a regular wrap. Um, so I was playing Corky the Clown and a pair of trick skis. And I said, at the end, typically you would, you would do a long dive out of a pair of jumpers. I said, well, I'm going to keep the trick skis on. And I told, I think it was Russell Daly or Donnie, one of the guys, I think it was Russell was driving me. Can't remember. I said, Hey, I'm going to try something, just roll with it. And I did, I wrapped and came across the ramp on those trick skis and I threw the mobe and I, I, I missed the handle pass because first of all, I didn't know where the heck I was. I was just like, wow. And I came around and I landed on my feet. Like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And I, I just was like, freaking out because i said man it could be done it could be done i said but um, trick skis are just beat your ankles to death right so i thought man that that's amazing um there were these little skis back in the day that wayne grimditch and the boys had freestyle the masters called ep aerials little short looked like trick skis with a tip on them and they were wide like that and you could ride those things but they're super soft 
I, uh, and I had there, we had a couple pair of those there. I strapped up a pair of EP aerials and went out and tried it and landed it. Um, and I thought, my gosh, it could be done. So that's kind of how the, the Moog transitioned. Um, and then I went out on 72s and, and did Moogs on 72s because I was more comfortable on 72s riding them. Yeah. I caught my heels a couple times and just ate it. Just <laughs> ate it. Uh, were you one of the, or were you the first to do a mob wrapped the uh, regular way rather than around? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. Harold did it that that way. And I just, it just was uncomfortable to me, but it was ingenious what he did. And I just said, I can't do that. It's just not natural to me. So, yeah. And wow. then, uh, yeah, that's how, that's how, um, and then I started, then I went down to seventies and seventies changed everything that, that two inches off the jumpers just changed the world. And that that's, and I stayed on that for a long, long time. You know, what would make jumping easier, Adam? A sweet set of jump skis sure would. Yep, absolutely. There is a brand new ski company that has hit the market and they are changing the game. If you have not heard about Flyman skis, let us be the first to tell you they are awesome. Yes, a revolutionary new design, composite core with all new materials, a different manufacturing process, and modern graphics. Yeah, and these bad boys are fully customizable. You can get online and on their website, you can custom design your own jump skis. It is sweet. They have freestyle jump skis, slalom jump skis, twin tip jump skis, and even shorties to work on those crazy freestyle jump tricks. And they also have swivel skis. And man, are these things beautiful. Yeah, they're made from the same composite core, patent-pending construction of the jump skis. The versatile swivel board comes in three different sizes for effortless performance. And what's best is that these things are affordable. No longer do you need to search Facebook and Craigslist for used jumpers that might cost you 1500 bucks. These are brand new, flat out awesome, and they are the most affordable we've had on the market in 30 years. Yeah, you can't get swivel skis and jump skis this high quality for this price anywhere. Flyman skis and jump skis are exclusively yours at flymanskis.com. That's F-L-Y-M-A-N-S-K-I-S.com. Check out their website and design your own skis and see their 3D interactive view. This is revolutionary, affordable, and quite frankly, it's just what our industry needs. Again, that's flymanskis.com. Built by skiers for skiers. Visit the website and get yourself some amazing new skis today. As you were coming up in the sport and learning all of this, even in your three-event world and then in your days of the gardens, you've you've dropped a lot of names already, and it's awesome to hear. Who would you say were the most influential on you as you were coming up in the sport? The easy one is my mom. Uh because she was just an unbelievable skier and I was just there. I mean, I grew up in that. I grew up with the names of, uh, and it's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about this, just like, man, it's almost like a Forrest Gump movie where I was in the right place at the right time, where I saw things happen, you know, with these people. And they are just amazing experiences that I, I was fortunate enough to, to live through. Um, so, so my mom, for sure. Ricky McCormick, um, great friend, 
hardest trainer that I've ever had. Um, I trained with Ricky uh, and Lucky Lowe um, as a kid uh, jumping. And he was a great trick, obviously great, great trick skier. So taught me and pushed me really hard. We lived right in the, you know, he lived on Lake Roy and I just run over there and he trained me and we, and we, well, we did it not as I'm going to go. We just did it because we hung out together. You know, I was younger, obviously, but he, I just grew up in that, that era with, with Ricky. And, um, there was a guy, uh, by the name of George Athens. You can go back and look this guy up jumping. He was, he had the coolest jumping style, distance jumping style. It was super cool. He came off the ramp, spread his skis. It was just like a big spread Eagle. And he could, and I just thought he was cool. I remember watching him as a kid and I thought, man, that guy's got some style. I liked his style. Um, those, those people that, that I, you know, kind of grew up lucky was a grinder too. always push hard from the three event side. Paul Merrill was an inspiration. Paul's not with us anymore. We lost him several years ago, but he was, um, uh, he, he would just, he, he didn't tolerate anything but excellence. Um, Linda Vakovsky, bar none, that guy gave me, uh, he took a chance on a little snot nosed kid that was lightweight and bring him into a, a, a rock star ski show. And if he didn't give me that experience, I'd be bagging groceries at Publix somewhere or who knows what I'd be doing. But um, he gave me the opportunity. Um, Rob Shirley from Mastercraft. Um, and I know we can tell that story in a little bit, but Rob Shirley was, he's just an unbelievable person. Um, and then all that, you know, Mark Voisart pushed me as hard as anybody at the gardens. And then uh, Sammy Duvall. Sammy and I became really close friends uh, during the competitive years. Um, but he, here's a guy that was a fierce competitor. Um, his sister, his family, his dad back in the day, um, fierce, fierce competitor, but um, a good guy, just a good friend and would, would, I mean, he, he guided me um, and helped me find from sponsorships to, Hey, why don't you do this? And, yeah, those are those are probably some some key folks. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch along the way, but those are some key folks that that really stand out. Scott, what was your talk about your relationship? You know, as you you, you toured around on the freestyle tour uh, with the other guys on the tour, were you competitors? Were you friends? Were you both? Uh, you know, what kind of stories do you have from that? Oh man, okay, so there was really a close knit group, you know, you, so you had sea world, you had Cypress gardens and you had some independents. That was kind of the freestyle guys. Right. I mean, that was either like daughter and, you know, Mike Barnes and Kevin Gunther, those guys, Mark Jackson, we all skied together every day, you know, and then we would grind it out skiing and then we'd hop on a plane and go to the tour stop. And we, you know, so we were all friends, um, competitors, obviously sea world. There was always this us against them. Nah, I don't care what it was. We're going to beat SeaWorld. Hated SeaWorld. We're going to go kill them and everything we do from flag football to skiing. Not hating, but it was just, that was a rivalry. You know, we did not want any SeaWorld guy to beat any gardens guy. It doesn't matter what it was. I, I don't care if it was thumb wrestling. We're going to, you know, we're going to go at it. Um, but get to know those guys and they're pretty cool. You know, we, you know, we got to know them more. I was pretty I kind of stayed to myself, believe it or not, from the tour on the tour. I didn't uh, kind of st- I didn't go hanging with with you know 
anybody in particular. Um, I kind of was on the three event side, which is weird. I had that crossover because I knew Sammy and, and Carl and Bob and Chris LaPointe and all those guys. And they were all, they were all friends. So I had that. It was really an awkward situation because they didn't converse and they didn't interact with the freestyle guys. So I was kind of like this crossover that I had friends on both sides. Um, but I really kind of kept to myself most of the time uh, until we got into the rental car rallies and then it was game on. So those are the, some of the fun times. We'd rent these big old stinking Lincolns and take them out and just run them to death. <laughs> just <laughs> Phoenix, Phoenix uh, Raceway was probably one of the most aggressive rental car races we ever had. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff Carrington, I think, burnt one down to the ground. Uh, don't quote me on that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's fun. So as you came up in, in the tour and and you've now progressed into uh, making different tricks, now competing against some of these guys, uh, what would you say is the hardest trick you've ever made um, as a skier? Okay, there's I got there's a caveat here because right. I made it, I made it, but you got to remember the garden mentality, right? you're not riding away from that first trick, right? <laughs> so that permeates all the way through to, I'm trying to learn a 1080. And a 1080 was by far the most difficult trick I've ever done in my life. And it jacked up my 720s. It's completely messed them up because you gotta, you gotta throw the 1080. Um, and Kevin Gunther was riding pin for me and I double wrapped and then handle past the, the back part, right? The last turn, man, I came around and nailed it. Think he pins me. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make another one. He figured, right? Yeah. Oh, I didn't make, I never made another one, you know, but that, not, not to, not to, I shouldn't say I never made one that I had to tumble out of a couple, but they were, I never, never made another one like, like I did that one. And he laughed and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're killing me, dude. Really? Um, <laughs> doubles, double fronts were double fronts were the most brutal as far as just painful. Um, I, I mean, I, my ankles just got destroyed, you know, landed back and a double front's not anything that you, you can't go at it. Like you can't just ease into a double front. You you're, it's like, I'm going to go 35 on a double weight cut and I'm, I'm throwing it and you're either coming around or you're going to eat it. 99.9% .9 of the time you're going to eat it. You're going to land short and you're going to end up just raking your ankles. So let's talk more about that trick. That's because yeah. we got some young guys that'll listen to this episode that yeah. are doing double fronts today. Did you ever make any, who did you see make any back in the day? Uh, Cause I know we got, we got young guys like Liam Klotzbaugh and uh, Seth phrase has done some, yep. uh, there's some guys out there. Uh, Garrett Boulay uh, may try some, uh, you know, we got some guys that, that want to get after it, but it's that you're right. That trick is, is brutal. You just land like a ton of bricks. Uh, yeah. Tell us the history of that trick and what you've seen over time. I, look, here's the thing. The, the, the worst part, the thing is you start, you, you start egging out. I call it an egg because you got a perfect oval, right? You want to stay tight as much as you can, but then what happened just, just centrifugal force starts pulling you apart because you're trying to spin and you got those big heavy skis on you 
and they just start, it, it's really, really hard to stay tight. And you got to really concentrate on getting really balled up and try to stay as tight as you can. Smaller skis obviously going to help. Um, I was doing them on 70s just trying to I, – I went down to 68s just to try to do it. I made it off a kicker ramp because it helped. I could slow it down. Like a little kicker we had at Worlds, that same thing. Slow it down. You're really – you're going up and doing the trick rather than going in real long. That's the difference. The, the challenge is the ramp doesn't have enough kick to it. And um, – you probably work on a six foot ramp a lot easier than a five and a half. It's just a long slopey ramp made for going long and it's not made for going up. A kicker is great. You can learn them on a kicker, slow the boat speed down, shorten your skis up and just start trying it there. That's where you're going to be less painful. The falls aren't going to be, you know, nearly as hard. Um, and you can, you can start staying tucked when you start moving to the big ramp. It's, it's just, that's it, it, going to hurt. Yeah. Now I say it's going to hurt. It's just, Landing on your skis, you just land back on your skis. Typically, you're, you're landing short, you know, and that's just a that's just an ankle slap. I, okay, here's a quick story. Sarpus Gardens is owned by Anheuser-Busch. August Bush flies in on his helicopter, and he comes and tours the park, and, you know, just everybody freaks out over the eagles landed, blah, blah, blah. Um, Zane, August Bush comes in, comes and August Bush Jr., the third, comes in. He and I are chatting on the front dock. Zane decides to go out. Zane Schwenk. I'm going to go out and throw a double. Right out of the gate. Double weight cut. Whoosh, nails it. Sticks a double. First time I've ever seen one made on a ramp like that. I'm like, I just smacked. Do you, you just see that? <laughs> it didn't even phase him. He didn't even, he had no idea what he just saw. But I just like, you got to be kidding me. One try, one deal. Zane goes out, nails it, come back in. I'm like, Dude, you're killing me. I've been trying that thing for three years, and you go out and nail it. But, yeah, that was awesome. Unbelievable to see that. Wow, that's awesome. But Zane's a stud, too. I mean, that guy, was a he was a gymnast. He was an acrobat. He, he I mean, he's like throwing a cat out the window, and he'll land on his feet. I want to talk about uh, that 2012 2012- world show ski championship. And I want to, I want to kind of tee up our audience a little bit because I was one of the show directors along with Chris Copeland and uh, you got a call from Chris uh, to, to be on that team in 2012. And uh, one of my favorite memories, and I think memories for show skiers everywhere is you not only performing in that, those two shows at 2012 worlds, but it was that Mobius and yeah, you tumbled up and the, the, the mob that you went out and did, you landed, you were tumbling up and 200 feet later, you come up on your feet, on your skis and the crowd absolutely went nuts. And the video is out there and people need to watch it. And it's, it's seeing you, Scotty Clack do a mob in a water ski show and the, the audience and the reception and the first worlds, like all of it was just such a special moment. Talk about your experience being on that 2012 worlds team, that Mobius, um, and, and just kind of take us through that experience for, for you. I, I listen, I got goosebumps right now and it just, just reliving that because I got to tell you, there's not, you, it's really hard to go back in time and relive the glory days. I relived the glory days that day. It was unreal. The crowd's response, the 
that when I hit the shore and I was pumped, man, I was pumped. It was unreal. But I will tell you, leading up to that, and you were there because you called me on it. Um, I wasn't doing mobs in practice. And you guys were busting my chops on it because I said, look, man, first of all, tra- getting back. Okay, I'm going to back up. Copeland calls me and says, hey, man, we want you to do that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've never skied for my country. In all my years of competing, I never got to ski for my country. That is the most um, – that honor to to do that i got it is unreal it is and it's emotional i mean it is i mean look we're in our small little sport right but that moment and to be able to compete for your country there's nothing better than that nothing um i answered him said yeah i'm in i'm in and then i went oh my god what did i just do i haven't put a pair of skis on in years i mean i didn't i didn't own any equipment and i'm like holy crap I get back in shape. So I, I, I darn near killed myself getting back in shape. Honest to God, this is a true story. Um, I, and I, if I go after something, I just go at it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm wide open. I don't go from zero to a hundred. I don't ease my way into it, which I, I should, but I just, I just do it. Um, you started CrossFit, didn't you? Yes. That was, Let me tell you something. Yep, I remember that story. Yep. Most amazing. I love CrossFit. Loved it. But damn near killed me. Um, cause I was, look, man, I'm trying to compete against these and I got to do it. I'm, I'm sitting here lifting against these 18 year olds and I'm going to beat them. I, I got to win. We're running, we're doing all this stuff. I was doing this workout and I think a workout was, it, they're all girls names, which is crazy, right? There's a girl's name for this workout. It was either, I think it was Angie. I think it was my dang wife's name that darn near killed. There should be, I think there's a story behind that. Right. Um, I, and it was all about just massive reps of push-ups and pull-ups and then just you know burpees and whatnot and i was doing these pull-ups and then i when i finished i literally could not extend my arms they were so swollen i mean i was i mean i was swollen everywhere and i couldn't extend my arms they were just they were just tight like oh my gosh darn that i just overdid it right Went home and I got up and i was going down to miami to the miami boat show the next day to set up the nmar booth and um, I, I woke up and I thought, oh, my God, I feel miserable. I went into the bathroom. I peed blood. No kidding. And I was like, whoa, this can't be good. <laughs> my wife's a nurse. So I say, hey, yeah, I got, I got a problem. What, what do you think? So she says, all right, give me a sample. She And I haul butt down to Miami. I got to go. I got to go set up. She takes the sample in. Long uh, story short, my doctor, who she works with, a good friend of our family, um, I'm setting the booth up down in Miami. This is, this is a day and a half later. I'm still just, oh my god, I can't do, I can't. It just aches. All I could do is put my hands up like this, like across to my shoulders, like this, just to keep my, to, just that. That's the only thing that helped. The pain. I get a call down there from my doctor. He says, "Hey man, what are you doing?" I said, he said, I said, down in Miami, he goes, okay, listen, you need to get to the emergency room right now. So what do you, what? I'm freaking out. Now I'm turning white and freaking out. And he goes, get to the emergency room. You're in renal failure. Right. And I said, what? You gotta be kidding me. He goes, listen, here's, here's what I want you to do. Go down to, go down to, you know, so I tell Chuck, Chuck's standing there. I said, Chuck, I got to go to the emergency room. He goes, what? Dropped everything, jump in the car. We fly down. We 
think it's Jackson Memorial, downtown Miami, probably the worst hood hospital you could ever go to, right? I mean, it, it, it is in the spot that you're like, oh my gosh, this is not where you want to be. You walk into the emergency room and you're like, oh, he says, give him this paperwork. He said, I, I wrote down, you know, what exactly he told me to do. I took it to the receptionist there, look up at me and says, I know the, the place is packed, right? It's packed with people. And they're like, he hands the paperwork back to a nurse back behind. And the nurse, they like bring me right back right away. Put me on the, on the table. What have you been doing? What do you mean what I've been doing? What, what, tell me what's happened. I said, I think I've been working. I, I think I overworked out. You know, I think I, that's the only thing I can think about. All right, great. Hook me up to IV, like right away. Like put an IV in me and they're like, dude, rush me back to this, to this isolation room. There's like three rooms together with a curtain, right? Back in the back. I'm sitting there. Another nurse comes in. What have you been doing? I, I think I've been working out. I think that's the problem. I know I've been working out real hard. Maybe that's what happened. Okay, great. Um, the doctor kindly comes in. Oh, our doc. This guy looks like he should have been a pro wrestler. I mean, like he looked like he grappled from like, you know, one of the colleges up there. He just, dude, he comes in and he goes, what have you been doing? I'm like, listen, you're the third person that's asking me what I've been doing. He goes, let me tell you why. He goes, you're in renal failure. He goes, you had this thing called rhabdomyolysis. I'm like, oh, okay, what do you, what's that all about? He goes, look, there's three ways this can happen. He goes, you either got into a really bad car accident where you just got, you know, got hammered and your body hit and it was just a, a, a blunt blow. You either have been working out really, really hard and you just passed it or you've been doing a lot of cocaine. I'm like, no way. He goes, yeah. He goes, you came to probably the best place you could ever come to. We see this all the time here. I'm like, not for working out, I'm assuming. He goes, no, you're right. He goes, so they flushed me with fluids. And uh, I took like, I don't know how many liters of fluid and it flushed me out. And ultimately that's what happened. Anyway, there's my story leading up to, to, um, to training. I was in super, super good shape when we got up to uh, Wisconsin to train. Right. So then we, you know, we had that morning and all I was doing, all I, oh, I went over to, I went to the gardens, which was Legoland at the time. And I asked Gary Thompson, Hey man, can I just, can I train here? Can I work? Cause I know that place. It just smell. And the, I knew the, I knew the pattern. I knew it. So I started training, jumping again. All I was doing is gainers, 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 just to try to get my timing back. 32 miles an hour felt like I was going 100. I'm telling you right now. So it took me a while just to get the speed back, just to, I mean, it's crazy. It was really weird. Um, but I thought I was in good shape. I had my legs back underneath me. I felt good. Uh, I said, look, if I can stick if I can get my gainers back to where I need to be and I can get some distance and I can get some elevation and get up off the top of the ramp, because the worst thing you do is sit into them. And so I started, once I could do that, I felt like I could do a mob. I didn't do a mob. And you know that because you were busting my chops every morning. When are you going to do a mob? When are you going to do a mob? I had to do a mob when I'm darn near ready to do a mob. <laughs> I'm not ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill myself. Uh but then that morning, we what did we go, we went up to um, was it Rockford? We went Rockford. To? Yep. Yeah, we had to train, right? Yep. Weather was crap. It was cold. Yes. The ramps moving all over the. But we're chasing the ramp because the ramp broke loose, right? And I come wrapped, and I come in, and and the ramp moved, and I sat into it, and I just, uh, you just, I just went to save my life and tuck up, hit, bounced out the front, and I went, all right, all right, I'm not hurt. 
I made it. That was the first mob I tried in I don't know how many years it had been. And I said, okay, I got it. I can do it. I know I can. I know what I did wrong. And um, yeah, so the, I think the second mob was in the show. Yeah. I, I don't think I did another one until the show. Because like, I figured if I'm going to make it, I'm just going I'm, I'm to do it. I'm going to do it in the show. And that was the tumble up. So. Yeah, and what an incredible moment! I mean, for you, what what was that entire moment like? Making that mob in the show, coming to shore. What was that like? It it was. It, it, first of all, I go back to just you know we we walk out on stage and the the, the national anthem. You're standing there with your team. I was pumped up for the team. The whole you know I was running around pumping the team up. I was fired up, man. I'm like, you guys have no idea what you're doing. This is. This is the deal. This is we are, we're we're going to kick some butt. Let's go, let's go. I was fired up the whole time, man. I was, I was jacked. By the time I got down there to the right to the end, you know, I'm, I'm down at the other end and I'm I'm getting pumped up. I think it was Pete, man. I'm like Pete, you've been watching me. What am I doing? What am I doing? He goes, pick your head up, man. All you got to do is pick your head up. You just look up, look past the ramp. I'm like, such a simple deal. Get your head up off the ramp and look past it. You know, then I can get some lift off of it. So I actually went, that's what happened is I went through the mob. I went past it, yeah. you know, I, and so, man, I landed and I'm like, oh, crap. I knew as soon as I sat through it, I'm like, oh, damn, here we go. Got to tumble up. But I tumbled up on my wrong foot. I'm left foot forward. So, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, the binder's coming off. I got to, I don't want to screw it up. So I end up, I've done it. I've tumbled up a bazillion times. And I just jammed my foot down in the water and stood up. I'm like, I, there's no flipping way I'm letting go of this rope. I'm riding this thing out. So that's what happened. And then I come across and I was so pumped and so fired up. And everybody was. They're like, whoa, yeah. You know, out in the water, the guys that were hanging, you know, sitting, waiting. And then coming across and just the roar. You could feel it. I mean, just when I, when I stood up, I could feel it. I I got to liken it probably to some guy scoring a touchdown at Lambeau. I don't know. It just it would it felt just unreal. That wave came across, and then when I when I hit the shore, it was just like it was just like winning a tour stop back in the day. It was actually it was better. It was better than that because it, it just I did it for my country. I I did it to prove myself that I could do it again. And then I got the, the accolade and the reward from that. I'm like, I'm good. I'm done. I never will do another one. I'm hanging my skis up and I can't relive that again. So I don't need to go do that again. I'm good. Well, that uh, leads to the next question. Was that the last time you've performed in a water ski show? Yeah, that's it. That's it. I don't, there's no reason to. For me, I mean, I've, I've skied in hundreds of thousands of shows to, that was it. That was the cherry on top, man. I don't, my skis, I, I gave the skis, but I'm done. I'm good. I think that <laughs> the way, that's the way every great athlete wishes they could go out football players, basketball. You want to go out with the title, the game winning shot, the, the moment, yep. and you got to do that. And that's, that's pretty special. Yeah, it was, it is. And it, it now I'll go out and, and surf now i'm now i'm back in florida so i'm able we went out yesterday we went out with my kids and went surfing yesterday on behind the boat it was awesome but that's that's me that's my i get more joy out of watching the kids and and you know i not is there a little piece of me as a competitor that says okay i think i can take you um i think that's always going to be there you know i mean 
once you're a competitor, you just you're 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 gonna do it. I'm I don't know, but yeah, I'm pretty lucky, pretty blessed to be able to to say that I can. That was one of my best performances. It may not have been the prettiest, but certainly was one of the most uh, one of the most memorable for sure. Yeah, Scott, how old were you in 2012 when you did that mob? 49 and a half, almost 50 years old. Yeah, I 49 just, and a half, just shy of 50. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure there's a part of you that would have, would have liked to just absolutely stomp the landing on that. But coming from a guy that's calling the show, the way that played out, the drama that kind of created and the the anticipation of if he's, is he going to make it or not? I mean, it was, you couldn't have scripted it any better. And it was, it was fantastic. I mean, when I heard that we were going to interview you, that's what came to mind was that very moment. It was like, Hey, that's, that's the guy. That's the guy that he, I remember meeting you for the first time and you were telling me about how you were, you know, doing CrossFit and getting ready for this. I'm like, Hey, this isn't the guy that just shows up and hopes he's going to make it. This is a guy that is, he's all in. And you know, it was that, and then it was that pinnacle of you making that, that Mobius. That was just, I mean, that, uh, yeah, that will go down. And, uh, you know, as one of my great memories in show skiing was that, was that very moment. I mean, so that's glad we got to share that. That was just phenomenal. Absolutely, man. Thank you. You said 49 and a half is to your knowledge. Are you the oldest to have made a mob? Oh, I don't know. I think Gino asked me that same question. I thought it was 50, but I, well, I was Gino wants to know yeah. because he wants to do one at the 2022 <laughs> worlds when he's 50. <laughs> That's his goal. Yeah, he, 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 I thought I was 50, but I wasn't. Yeah. So he would be, yeah, he'd be, you know, he wants to break every record, man. He, if there's a record out there, I don't care what it is. He wants to go beat it by by an inch. But more power to him, man. They, go do it, brother. If anybody could do it, it could be him. I can tell you that. He's uh, he's out riding and doing That'd be fun. I'm all for him. If he could do it, do it, man. It won't bother me at all. I, 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 I don't get hung up on all that stuff. That doesn't that doesn't bother me at all. I'm, I, To your point, man, I live some – pretty awesome experiences. So those are what you got. I mean, you, the memories and experiences are what you get to take with you. I mean, all those trophies and records and all that stuff, they're, they're good on paper, but I just, I like to relive the memories. That's fun. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, I guess, Scott, if it ever, you ever do start losing sleep over it, you know, 2022 worlds is in winter Haven. So just throwing <laughs> that out there. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm in Florida again. I've got access to some some boats and stuff. Who knows, man? Uh, I tell you what, it'll be quiet if I if if I'm doing it, no one will know about it. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank you for for joining our show today. Uh, it's been uh, a pleasure hearing your whole history, uh, and and we're excited to bring this to the show ski masses because they want and need to hear from people like you. Uh, the the stories that you have, the experiences you have are unlike any other. So thank you so much, Scotty, for taking the time today. Well, thank yeah, thanks, Scott. It's been a real honor. Well, thank, thank you, you guys. It's it's my pleasure. And, and and it's an honor for me to be able to hang out with you guys. So you guys are the rock stars and they're, they're carrying the baton. So, man, thank you. Keep doing your thing. We will. Have a good day, Scott. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, guys. Man, Scotty Clack, what a great storyteller this guy is. I could listen to him for hours. Oh, and that good old boy Southern Draw is so good. I mean, I, you know, we talked about when I first met him at the 2012 Worlds and he was telling me that he uh, 
you know, he was, he was doing CrossFit to get in shape. Um, and then he tells a story about going into renal failure. I mean, I think it's just evidence to, to, you know, the mentality that this guy has. I mean, it's, he's all in, right. He's all in yep. dedicated, hard worker, going to get it done at all costs. And he did. And that, then that Mobius again, uh, we talked about that is a, a forever memory, him making that mob and that show and, and coming to shore and that reception. Unbelievable. Well, that's it for today's episode. As always, we need to thank our sponsors. Today, we are sponsored by Flyman Skis, hot new ski company out in the market. Get affordable new jump skis and swivel skis. Don't miss them. Flymanskis.com. And we're sponsored by The Board Shop. Visit bswake.com. Use the discount code The Ski Show and get 20% off your order. And please don't forget to leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you got a chance to share this on social media so other show skiers and former show skiers know about this podcast, we'd really appreciate it. Tune into our next episode as we have our first female guest on the show. She's been a multiple-time member of Team USA and is one of the current stars of our sport. Should be a good one, Matt. Should be. That's it, Adam. Thank you guys for listening today. This is Matt and Adam signing off. Thank you for listening to The Ski Show, the ultimate show ski podcast with Matt and Adam. We're the only show specifically dedicated to all things show ski. If you have feedback or ideas for future shows, hit us up on social media or email us at theskishowpodcast at gmail.com.